Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 8. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. What a friend we have in Jesus. That song was originally written by Joseph M. Skirvin in 1855, and he wrote it to comfort his mother. Are you listening? He wrote it to comfort his mother who was living in Ireland while he was living in Canada. I think of Genesis. After God, let me have your attention. After God created man, God said, It is not good for man to be alone. And listen, that's still true, isn't it? Man needs companionship, and man needs a friend. Talking about friendship, listen. Somebody once wrote, A friend is a person who does his knocking before he enters rather than after he leaves. Somebody else said, I'm the kind of friend you can depend on. I'm always around when I need you. You'll get that on the way home. Someone else said, if you really want to know who your friends are, make a big mistake. Isn't that true? Somebody else once wrote, a friend is one to whom one may pour out all the contents of his heart, chafe and grain together, knowing that the gentlest of hands will take and sift it. Keep what is worth keeping, and with a breath of kindness, blow the rest away. I like that. An English publication offered a prize for the best definition of a friend, and they received statements like this. A friend is one who multiplies joy and divides grief. A friend is one who understands my silence. A friend is a volume of sympathy bound in flesh. But here's the best one and the one that won the prize. A friend is one who comes in when everyone else goes out. Isn't that great? Got a pen? The Jewish people understood friendship, and they had three words for friendship. They had three words for friendship. I'm going to give them to you. First of all, raya, raya, R-A-Y-A-H, raya. And raya means an acquaintance. Proverbs 18.24, a man who had friends or raya, acquaintances, must show, first show himself what, saints? friendly. Psychologists tell us you can have about 200 of these people in your life. And then the Hebrew word they had for friendship was the word aloth or aluth. A-L-O-O-T-H. A-L-O-O-T-H. And that's a little more familiar. Close friends. This is people you have vacation with, a weekend with, Psychologists tell us you can have 25 of these close friends. 
These are people you haven't talked to in years. And then when you do talk to them, it's almost like you pick up where you left off. Y'all know people like that? Then raise your hand. You know people like that? Some of y'all didn't raise your hand. Y'all must be mean. I'm going to do it again. Maybe you didn't hear me. You know people like that? You just kind of, yeah, okay, there you go. Then you just talk to them, and then five years later, you talk to them, and it's like you just pick up right where you left off. That's kind of aloof, aloof. And then they have the Hebrew word ahav, A-H-A-V-E. And this is intimate. This is a close friend. Proverbs 18.24 uses this word. This is a friend that sticks closer than anybody know. A brother. Psychologists tell us you can have two of these in your life. This is the friendship like David and Jonathan. Their soul was knit together. Proverbs 27.6. Faithful are the wounds of an ahav. A friend. This is an intimate friend who would tell you the truth even if it hurts. John 15, 13, memory verse. Greater love is no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his, anybody know? Friend for his ahav. This is a relationship that's honest, even if it wounds a friend for their good. This is the kind of friendship that one would even die for the other. Do you have friends like that? Well, I'll tell you something. Listen close. If you're a Christian, the answer is yes. You do have a friend like that. And you know what his name is? Jesus. The Bible teaches Jesus is a friend to sinners. And in our text this morning, we're going to meet just that kind of friend in this story of the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Now listen to me close. I know that if you've been in church for more than a couple of months, maybe a couple of years, I'm sure you've heard this story. And generally, when we hear the story of the woman who's caught in the act of adultery, the point of the sermon becomes what Jesus thinks of adultery or what Jesus will do to the adulteress. Now, although I believe this is woven into the story, I don't believe that's the point of the story because it doesn't harmonize with the nature and the character of who God is. Listen, our God, And maybe I can get a witness in the house. Our God is a God of righteousness. Our God is a God of justice. Somebody say amen. Our God is a God of mercy and love and grace and kindness and forgiveness. And at the same time, our God deals with sin. And in our text this morning, we have the most profound moral issue in the entire universe before us. How does God, and listen, this is what we have to answer. How does God harmonize his justice and his mercy? Jesus is locked on the horns of dilemma. What do I mean? I'll tell you more later. I've titled this sermon, Neither Do I Condemn Thee. John chapter 8, saints, we pick up in verse 1, but listen, it actually begins in verse 53 of chapter 7. So I want you to look at chapter 7 and look at verse 53. And if you're looking at verse 53, I want you to say, I'm looking at it. And everyone went to his own what? House. Now in chapter 8, verse 1, if you're looking at it, say amen. But Jesus went to the mountain. Some of y'all didn't say it. If you're looking at verse 1 and verse in chapter 8, say amen. amen. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. 
And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. You get that tone? Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? And this they said, somebody read it with me, testing him, underline that in your Bible, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he wasn't even listening to them. And when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, somebody read it with me. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Stop right there. Give me your attention, saints. I love this story. It's a beautiful story. And actually, when I study the Bible, um, I oftentimes... Uh, when you are familiar with a text, you tend to go to that text being familiar with it and you just kind of read it and you just kind of deal with it as a Bible teacher. Uh, this story, I didn't do that because I had heard it so much. Are you paying attention? Because I had heard it so much and I had heard so much teaching about it, I thought that I might, in this particular text, slow down and read it and ask God to help me to, to, to hear him with a very clean slate. For those of you that like this kind of stuff and dig into these kinds of things, in your footnotes in some of your Bibles, um, it might tell you that this section of John or the story of the woman taken in the act of adultery was not in the original manuscripts. You might find that in some of your Bibles. Uh, if you look at the bottom, or uh, they might tell you that it's not in the best manuscripts, or they would tell you that it's not in the oldest manuscripts, which I don't know how they know that because no one has ever seen an original manuscript. We've seen copies of copies of copies, but not the original. Uh, there's much debate and much discussion concerning the validity of this text. One of the reasons some believe it's not in the original is because some were afraid that this text would give their wives a reason to sin. Knowing that all they had to do was go to Jesus and he would forgive and not condemn. And fearing people would feel that adultery was no big deal. And I actually could bore you, could show you stacks, pages of people, church fathers, arguments as to whether this should be in the Gospel of John. Are y'all tracking with me? Whether this should be in the Gospel of John or shouldn't be in the Gospel of John, whether this should be in the Bible, I could show you stacks of that. I won't bore you with that today. 
as to the positions of why or why not uh, this text should be in John's gospel or should be in the Bible at all. But I do want to tell you that I totally, and I would venture to say I can speak for all of us, we totally trust this book that's in our hands. Am I right about it? I'm waiting for somebody to clap your hands and say amen. We trust this book. And don't get me wrong. The story may never have happened, but it doesn't matter because the point of the story is unshakably true. And the message of the story is a pervasive message of the entire New Testament. And that's the message of grace and mercy and forgiveness. I've heard a gazillion sermons, and so have you, on the woman caught in adultery. We've heard a gazillion sermons on how God hates, you know, the behavior of homosexuals. We've heard a gazillion sermons on God, how God hates people who, not the people themselves, but fornication and, 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 and adultery and drug use. And we've heard all this. But honestly, from this story, I'm not so sure that God wants us to take away from this story of, about how much he hates adultery. I think the message that God wants us to walk away with And the main goal of the text is Christ exalting grace and love and how he reestablished righteousness in the life of this woman based on grace. Did y'all hear me? Based on grace. The story points us to that message. As a matter of fact, the whole New Testament points us to that message. We are called to be a holy people. Somebody say amen. And God is a holy God. Somebody say amen. And God hates sin, and God wants us to understand that. But chasing after holiness without a profound experience of grace in our lives will only produce hypocrisy and doctrinal cruelty and butchering of God's word. Did y'all hear me? I'm going to say it again. Chasing after holiness without a profound experience of grace in your life will only produce hypocrisy and doctrinal cruelty and butchering of God's word. Be that as it may, chapter 7, you know, were you with me in chapter 7? Raise your hand. Were you with me in chapter 7? Okay, some of y'all, let me see that again. It didn't look like that. Were you with me in chapter 7? I knew it was more than that. All right, chapter 7, you know. The Pharisee sent the popo to take Jesus by force. That's police and normal talk. Did y'all get me? Y'all like, Popo? Who's the Popo? Who might be the Popo? The police. To take Jesus by force. And they came back empty-handed. You know the story. And they said, we never heard a man speak like this. I loved that last week. And the Pharisees sought to condemn Jesus without a proper court hearing. Look at verse 51 of chapter 7. It was Nicodemus who said, our law says we need to hear this man before we are sentenced. And the seventh chapter winds down to a conclusion in verse 53, every man went to his own house. Chapter 8, verse 1, we come to the next day after the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, the Feast of Tabernacles is chapter 7. Well, here we are in the next day. The feast is over. The booze are knocked down. All the branches are stacked. Everyone is packed up and ready to go to their respective homes. And it's very interesting because everyone went to their own house, but Jesus didn't have a house to go to. Huh? Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but what? The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
Y'all know that, don't you? Okay. Y'all need coffee? Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but what? The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's better. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, and he went into the temple, and he sat down, and he began to teach. Now listen, in Jesus' day, this was the proper way for teaching to happen. The teacher would sit down, and the people would stand up. I like that. Amen. I like it so much. I'm going to say it again. The preacher would sit down and the people would stand up and get the scene. The feast is over. And there's still a bunch of people in Jerusalem. And I'm sure there's a pretty good crowd listening to Jesus teach. And while he was teaching, Jesus is rudely, surprisingly interrupted by the scribes and the Pharisees who bring a woman in. Look at verse 3 and 4 in your Bibles. They brought this woman in that was caught in the very act of adultery, and they throw her down at the feet of Jesus. Y'all got this scene? Jesus is teaching. I understand. You know what? I read this, and I thought, you know what, Jesus, I feel you. I, I really understand. Because sometimes it's like when you're teaching, and it's even me, from, you should see where I see, from where I stand. Sometimes when I'm teaching, and I'm really teaching, and then all of a sudden somebody gets up and walks out, it, it, it just, you should see it from where I see. Like if somebody walks out that door, all the heads from that way go right over to that door. It's like, shoom. It's like a disruption. And so then it kind of throws you off. And so, you know, I, I get it. Or you're teaching and, you know, you're in this moment. It's happened many times. I'm teaching and I'm teaching the word and, you know, I'm, I'm being, teaching the word. I'm being deep and profound as I'm known to be. And, and, uh, Pray for me. And uh, I'm teaching the word. I'm just really into it. I'm right at that right point. You know what I mean. And it's like I'm talking about Jesus or something. And he breathed his last breath. And then when he breathed his last breath, he died. And everything's really, really quiet. And then all of a sudden, somebody blow their nose. Y'all know what I'm saying? It's just like people go, you know, somebody sneezes or somebody coughs. I honestly believe that is demonic. Blowing your nose is demonic. Did you hear me? It's like a distraction. It just throws people off. So I feel it. Jesus is sitting there teaching, and, 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 and they bring this woman in who's probably spitting and cursing and cussing, and she's probably wrapped in a sheet because remember, listen to me. Y'all listening to me? They caught her in the very act of adultery. So that she probably pulled out the room and wrapped the sheet around her and they bring her and she's spitting and she's cussing and then she's, she's screaming and she's making all this commotion and this woman is not happy. And she knows, probably knows some of these guys. Maybe she's being pulled, dragged by the Temple Mount and she sees the guy that she was with on Thursday and she's like, ah, nah, nah, I know you. <laughs> and she knows these guys are hypocrites. She might have been with a few of those guys the other night. So they're dragging her and this half-naked woman up to the Temple Mount in front of all these people, and they throw her down in front of Jesus. Look at verse 4. And they said, teacher or master. Now listen, that's just platitudes. They don't love righteousness, and they hate sin. And they don't hate sin. 
And they come and they try to catch Jesus on the horns of the lemma, but they don't know that Jesus is a friend to people like this woman. In verse 4, they say this woman was caught. Looking at verse 4, they say this woman was caught in a very act of adultery. They said Moses in the law commanded that she should be stoned. But what do you say? Now understand, adultery was a capital crime in Jesus' day and worthy of death. So they're right. She should be stoned. They're also right in that Moses did command that she be stoned. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And then again in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall put away the evil from Israel. So they're correct concerning the law. But according to the Jewish tradition, listen, if a man was caught in the act of adultery, they would take that man, listen at this, and bury him in dung up to his neck. Then they would take a towel and wrap it around his neck, and one guy would go that way, and another guy would go that way, and they would pull on that towel until that man was dead. And if anyone cared for him, they would come and take his body, and they would bury him properly, and then they would plant a tree on that location. The woman, if a woman was caught, they were supposed to take her to the doorstep of her father's house. And she was to be stoned in front of her father and her family. Why? Because it was the father's responsibility to lead the family. And it was his obligation to teach his children as the head of the home. Look at verse 6. It tells us that they're testing Jesus or trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to find something that they could use to accuse Jesus. And so they brought the woman to Jesus, not because they were shocked at her conduct, They brought the woman to Jesus, not because they were so horrified that God's holy law was being broken. They were fakes and phonies from the go. They didn't care one bit about the word of God, or did they care about God's law, or did they care about the woman being violated? They had one thing in mind. They wanted to trap Jesus. And I bet you they think at this point, we got him. And so, they throw this woman down. Jesus, what should we do? Now listen, Jesus, I told you, is trapped on the horns of dilemma because if Jesus says obey the law and stone her and put her to death, the Romans will arrest him and execute him because he violated Roman law because the Jews are currently living under Roman rule. The Jews are currently living under Roman law. If Jesus says let her go, then he's violating the law of Moses. Because remember, I told you, Jesus has been telling them, I am God. He kept saying, I am God. They said, no, you're not. He said, yes, I am. I'm God. I came from heaven. No, you didn't. No, you didn't come from heaven. We know your mom. We know your dad. You're from Nazareth. I am God. I am God. Jesus kept saying that over and over. And if Jesus set himself at odds against the laws of Moses, then they would say, you didn't come from the same God Moses came from because God is not the author of confusion. He's not going against his own law that was given to us by Moses, so they think they've got him trapped. Now, let's understand something. Again, they set him up. I'm going to give you two reasons. Maybe you can find more. But here's two reasons why Jesus, they set Jesus up, and we know it. 
Number one, because this woman should have never been brought to Jesus in the first place. They should have taken the woman to where? Anybody know? You know what? They said the same thing in the second service, the father's house. That's not the right answer. Although they should have taken him to the father's house, but it's not the right answer. The right answer is they should have taken him to the Sanhedrin, taken her to the Sanhedrin. And they should have took her to the father's house as well. Don't get me wrong. Amen. Say amen. So y'all, I'm, I'm going to let you pass on that, all right? You're, you're welcome, all right? Although they should have taken her to the, to the Sanhedrin because the Sanhedrin are the judges. The Sanhedrin is the ruling, governing, and legal body, and they should have heard the case there and tried the case there. They should have not brought her to some itinerant preacher to be judged. Jesus wasn't there to judge all Israel and to assess their moral conduct. And the second way we know this was a setup, because, listen, where is the man? Listen, by definition, adultery requires someone else to be there. Y'all say amen. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.